What's happening, David? I'm uh, I'm here with you in San Diego, beautiful San Diego, sunny San Diego. One of the, one of my favorite cities in the world, at least for the weather. It's a great city, especially coming from Texas, where it's just it's. As we were talking about it earlier. It's so hot. It's been like 103 every day for like three, four months, and so it's nice to come to San Diego and get some temperate weather, a nice breeze by the ocean. Yeah. I love it here. Yeah. Coming from, so you're originally from Saskatoon, right? Canada. Born in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. Grew up in Southern Ontario, about an hour and a half south of Toronto in the Niagara region, and then moved to Toronto. I went to the University of Toronto, studied there, and that's where I started my acting career. And then ultimately, ultimately moved to New York very briefly, and then to Los Angeles, and I lived there for 20 years. Uh, bounced around a little bit uh, once I retired from acting, trying to figure out where I wanted to live and ended up in Austin, Texas. Got it. Do you miss the Four Seasons? I do miss the Four Seasons. Yeah. I like winter. I don't yeah. I don't like six months of winter and bitter yeah. cold, but right. I lived up in Idlewild, California. It's uh, about two hours east of LA. It's a mountain yeah. town. Like Santa Barbara-ish? Or uh, no, it's, the, it's, okay. it, it's towards, uh, uh, what's the, Palm Springs. Got it, okay. And elevation is about 5,500. So they would get snow. Yeah. Um, but it didn't get too cold. And I thought that was perfect. Perfect, right? snow here and there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, weather in the sometimes high 30s, 40s, you know, you bundle up. It's fun. Yeah. So I don't I don't mind that. I do miss the seasons. Yeah. It's not like 20 below zero in Canada, you know. I mean, I lived in Alaska growing up for a good portion of my childhood. And I uh, don't ever want to live in a place like that i want to go to places like that but i don't ever want to live in that well, i was talking with my girl about this it, but it does make you tough yeah like the for extreme sure. weather forces you to kind of get strong and there's yeah. something about that with texas i didn't really understand texas when i moved there i'd been there a few times but that heat it does something to you and it forces you to kind of find some inner strength. And I, I started to understand why Texans are the way they are. It's, right. Part of it's just the geography. Like you yeah. grow up in that environment. You've got to be strong. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to be self-reliant. And uh, so I understand why Texas, you know, has that, that uh, attitude, that philosophy. It's funny you say that because I've always wondered when you think about geographic reason, regions and then you think about the accents that correlate with that. So like Russia, it's a very sharp, bitter language. And you think of people from like Hawaii or Samoa and it's a very like, oh, like a lot of like, I don't know. I just wonder if the weather played into that. And that's why there's, I mean, just think about it. No, right? absolutely. Like, my, my grandmother was a New Yorker. So fast talking. Yeah. And she retired down to Savannah, Georgia. And it was very hard for her because Savannah, Georgia, they yeah. talk real slow. It's like, and, Come on, hurry it up. Let's exactly. Go. But what she realized is, well, of course they talk slow. It's incredibly hot down there yeah. you, you have to learn to just relax right but in new york city it's busy 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 so i think you're absolutely right the 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 way we talk the accent all of that is affected by our the geography right right so a couple things i want to dive into um obviously you do some psychotherapy and i want to talk about that and the unconscious mind and the things mm -hmm. that come from the subconscious to the uh you know the our awareness and obviously your interview with Tate we'll get into. Um, you went to Romania and interviewed Andrew Tate for the second time? Yep. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, you were in Gilmore Girls and uh, you had an acting career. So you've had quite the, quite the life. And 
now you're diving into the content creation and all of that stuff. So um, love it. So so tell me about uh, Romania. How was it going out there? Uh, well, I you know it all happened very quickly. Uh, I interviewed Tate uh, three years ago. Uh, and I was telling you the story before we got on. Uh, he just tweeted out, I'm open to podcast interviews. And uh, and so I responded. And I said, hey, man, I just started a podcast. I'm a psychotherapist. And maybe you could come on. I could psychoanalyze you. And he was all about it. Yeah. And so that interview uh, became uh, very, very popular among his fans. Mm hmm. Uh, and, and he himself uh, said it was his best interview, which surprised me. I, I mean, I, I thought it was a good conversation, but I was also new to podcasting and interviewing people. Although when you're a psychotherapist, that's essentially what you're doing. You're interviewing people. You're, you're asking them questions and trying to probe and trying to understand what, how they work, how they think. So the skill is, is uh, applicable to, to interviewing people for podcasts. And it did translate. And I think people were interested uh in the idea of tate being psychoanalyzed because he's so certain about everything but m people maybe feel well maybe there's some things underneath the surface that he's not aware of and and i found him open and and willing and and curious yeah about that so uh and then i don't know about six eight months ago uh he reached out to me Again, and he said, listen, I'm getting after he blew up and he was everywhere. Right. Uh, and he said, uh, you know, I'm getting all these podcast requests, but I, I want to do an interview with you. Right. And I was very flattered, surprised because yeah. uh, we hadn't kept in touch. And I said, absolutely, let's do it. And then two days later, he got canceled off all social media. Right. And I didn't hear from him for a while. And then, you know, I just, I, he had a lot going on. And then eventually I reached out to him. I said, hey, how about that interview? And he said, absolutely. And two weeks later, I flew to Romania and was at his compound and, and, and we shot this interview. So it was, it was kind of surreal. I'd never yeah. been to Romania before. It's a beautiful country. Right. It's a poor country. It's, <clears throat> it's, there's a vibe there, uh, you know, old communist country. Uh, but it's also, you know, Tate is so he's everywhere. He's ubiquitous. And, and we, we see all the videos of his compound and all of that. So to, and I, I met him, but it was over zoom. So just the going first time, there, right? the first time. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. just going there and uh, you know, walking onto the compound, which I've seen a million times and yeah. in his videos and then coming into his house and then seeing him in person and his, his brother and all the his whole crew, it was, yeah, it was a little surreal. So and I was yeah. obviously a little bit nervous about the interview. He's a powerful man and incredibly famous. And, and you're in his, you're at his home, home turf, you know, you're I'm on his home turf. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I flew in and it's the, the time difference. I think between Austin is like eight hours. So yeah. I'm jet lagged and you know, is my brain going to work? I don't know. Yeah. Huh. What was the vibe like in his area? Right. I'm always curious. Cause when we went, Carlos and I went and interviewed, uh, uh, Pat Ridge and Pat's a great, do you know who Pat Ridge is? Mm -mm. He's pretty famous on TikTok. He has a sober living house and very controversial cause he records people and it's like an open format and, uh, he gets a lot of flack for it, but the energy there was very weird. I don't know. How would you describe it? A little, very dark, I'd wow. say, because there's a lot of, I mean, it's a, it's a sober living place. So people are fighting their demons there. And I've got seven years of sobriety, so I understand a little bit about that, you know, but, um, but what was the energy like at the Tate compound? Like, do you remember of a 
vibe. Just a bunch of dudes having a good time. Yeah. You know, they're training every day. His brother, he had a whole whole crew of guys there. His mom was there. Uh, it was very family oriented. They'd had have, have these big dinners and uh, you know, Tate Tate's all, you know, he's all business. Yeah. Uh, when he's working and, and he was working a lot. But uh, they they nothing you got the feeling that nothing was gonna get in the way of Tate having a good time. Right. Uh, having fun. And I mean, he trains really hard, but it was it was friendly. It was jovial. Um, they were still under house arrest at the time. Yeah. Uh, but his his spirits were high. Uh, I, I felt like it was a it was a it was a great energy. I mean, it's it's he's the, it's like what you see is what you get. Like, yeah. he's not hiding anything. It's not right. it's nothing different than than what you see online. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing that I like about this new kind of content and new I mean when you look at the most popular people in the world 10 20 years ago it's all Hollywood right all Hollywood New York people right but now that's kind of shifting away but one thing is I feel like in Hollywood and you spend a lot of time in Hollywood would you say that most people that you see in Hollywood celebrities are not like that when you actually get them in a room or is it that similar what you see is what you get well I think in Hollywood, people's images are very protected. I mean, or at least traditionally they have been. But then what we've seen with social media is that the currency is really authenticity, letting yeah. people into your life, letting people into your struggle, showing yourself without makeup, showing right. that you're cellulite, whatever that is. That, right. That's what people respond to. Yeah. Um, but I will say I did an episode of Friends uh, back when I was, yeah, when I was starting out. And that was a fascinating experience because... Uh, it was their 150th 50th episodes that had been on the air for quite some time. It was wow. the hottest show on television. Yeah. At the time, they were all making $750,000 per episode. Yeah. And, and that's in the late 90s, right? The, yeah, so. late 90s. Exact, yeah, 98, 99, maybe 2000, somewhere in there. Yeah. And I'm sitting on the couch and the, the coffee shop and just, you know, kind of feeling into it. Wow, you know, here I am on Friends. And the thing that was interesting to me is that all of them in real life were sort of like their characters. It was okay. like the, their characters were almost exaggerated versions of themselves. Okay. So that was, and that's what I learned uh, through uh, my years in television. It's like, I mean, obviously if you're playing some kind of baddie or yeah. extreme character, that, that's a little bit different, but it's almost like you, your essence will come through. Right. Like, and so who they are, you can, you can really feel it through the character that they're playing. And I think that's what changed my attitude is like, I'm not going to try to show up as some character. I'm actually going to try to be as much of myself yeah. as I can be. And if I can be as much of myself, be authentic, be real, be truthful, that will be interesting and compelling. I have to trust that. I don't, have to, I don't try to be something other than what I am. Right. Now, do you think that they were picked for those roles because of their personality? Or do you think that happened after the fact? Like they sort of, you spend so much time mentally in this role and going to a different place that you kind of become that person. Is it, that? It's kind of a combination of both. Okay. Um, casting is, uh, you're really, because there's so many good actors in Hollywood. I mean, right. so much talent. I would walk into a room for a, like a network test and it'd be me and four other guys and every single one of them had been on TV series and right. was successful. And I was like, Jesus, um, how am I going to compete with this? Uh, 
but then you started to realize, well, we're all good. Like we, we all, we're all in the industry. Like everybody's got talent. So yeah. maybe some is are more talented than others, but when they're casting, particularly in TV, it's like, it's a type. Right. And so, you know, they're going to choose the person that's right for that role. And so there's something about, and, and that's always a mystery, right? Yeah. Like for, for casting, you're looking for that person to come in. It's not always the best actor. It's the yeah. person who's most right for the part. And so, once you get that part and yeah, once you start playing it over and over and over and over again, yes. that's what you're doing every day for a year or two years or five years. Yeah. It gets inside your head in a way and it, it, se it actually separates you from reality. Right. And I, you don't realize it until you're out of it. Yeah. Uh, which is like anything really. Um, but yeah, you, your mind, your whole being is starts to get oriented towards the creation of this character and you start to embody it and live it in a way uh, and yeah, it takes you over for better, or for worse. Right. Right. Do you think that a lot of, cause I mean, you know, the things that you do consistently create these neural networks in your brain. Do you think that people hardwire themselves in a different way? And then when they're, you know, when they finally stop and they have time to look back, they're like, wait, I'm not this person. Is that kind of how it is? Um, I, I it's not that they're not that person. It's just, you let something take you over. Mm. You have to let something take you over. And that process is not always fully conscious, right? Like some, something else, like any creative endeavor, there's a, there's a magic to it. And, and you have to surrender to that, whatever that magical thing is, right. That, 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 that creativity is, especially if you want it to be great. And so it's just a, you're just letting yourself go into some, some aspect of yourself, some energy. This is the, the way that I see it. I'm sure other actors, you know, would sit down and, and maybe they have a different point of view. Yeah. But you just have to give over to something. And so it's, I, I think it's like an aspect of you or another possibility. Like if I was in this situation, if I had this history, how would I be? And then you, you explore that. And that can be really exciting. Right. But at the same time, yeah, once you get out of it, and I had this on, on Cracked where I played a, a cop with PTSD, I didn't realize how crazy I was acting right. until we wrapped uh, the first season and I had about a month off and I was like, oh man, I was in something. Right. Like I was in some other vortex that I needed to be in, but now that I'm out of it, uh, you know, I, I, feel, I felt a lot of, well, I had a lot more awareness and relief about it. Right. Right. There's no escaping it. It's going to take you over. But that's anything. It's like a job that you're in. You're a podcaster. Like you're an actor. You're a dancer. You're 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 a businessman. Like that becomes your life. And and yeah, your your mind gets wired in a certain way. And yeah, you have to make that commitment. And and that's what your life becomes. So how much of our character, just from like a psychoanalyst perspective, how much of our character is molded from childhood? You know, and we form these roles that we play going into life. I mean, that's the age old question, right? Nature versus nurture. I think that everybody's got their own individual essence and you can't get away from that. Right. Uh, and other people might say everybody's also has their own karma. Like yeah. they, they chose to be here and, and you chose to have this, these parents and this set of circumstances. Yeah. Maybe I'm open to that, but yeah. we, we can't know. 
Um, what I do know from my work is that we are heavily impacted by the experiences that we have in childhood. Right. Um, that on some uh, unconscious level, the child is always going to shape themselves to fit what they perceive their environment slash parents want from them. Right. Because that's the best strategy for survival. You are helpless. Right. You can't take care of yourself. So it makes sense that I'm going to do everything I can to make sure uh, uh, I'm connected and in favor with mommy and daddy. Otherwise, right. I don't survive. Yeah. And so that happens, uh, you know, at a, such a young age and unconsciously that it feels like it's who we are. Right. And and it is. It's a, it's an aspect of who we are, but there's a mask that gets created and distortions that get created and, and belief systems that get established in response to whatever the circumstances of our childhood are. And so usually when people come to me or when I started going to therapy, it's when you realize like, mm, there's something about myself that feels off or there's something that I don't understand or I have this pattern and I keep playing it over and over again. And, you know, I'm blaming the world, but actually it's me. If it's the yeah. same, you know, I'm the, I'm the, uh, the common denominator <laughs> and that process of trying to unravel what happened is, is really what most therapy is about. Well, it's also to give you strategies to compensate for it. And that, that process is, is very, it can be very difficult. And it's asking us to confront all the things that happened to us in our childhood that were painful or scary right. or caused us to feel uh, anger or frustration and all these feelings that we repress and hold back and um, and that feel it feels wrong to express or doesn't feel safe to express them and so essentially you're you're trying to help people feel the feelings the child could not or would not or wasn't safe for them to feel. Right. Well, when you interviewed Andrew Tate, one thing that really stuck out to me was how you sort of pressed into the topic of his childhood and then his relationship with his father, right? Mm -hmm. He said something that really stuck out to me, which we talked about off camera, but which was where he said that he had to earn his father's time, right? right? So what was there anything that stood out about that that, that you noticed? <clears throat> You know, I want to be careful here because I, I, I don't want to like psychoanalyze Tate too much publicly. Yeah. But I think like if we can talk in generalities, I, I, I think the idea that we have to earn love is uh, uh, it doesn't feel good yeah. to me. I don't want to feel like I have to earn love from my mom or my dad. I feel like I just want love available to me. That said, hey, man, dude's badass. Like, yeah. as he said, my dad raised me perfectly. Like, here I am. There's there's always going to be a light and a shadow to everything. Right. So you can try to be the perfect parent. I mean, that's an impossible thing, but you're always going to have a bias. And so it doesn't matter what you do. There's always going to be a shadow to it. So there's no escaping getting kind of like, quote unquote, messed up. Right. By our parents. Um, but yeah, I mean... I, there's, I mean, I think everybody, and I think even Tate, like he's, he's aware. Yeah. I stuff happened with my father that impacted me. Right. He would argue that that impacted me in a good way. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Was it painful? To, you know, maybe, but, um, and I, you know, and that's a, that's a fair argument. I mean, I have a different perspective on it because of the experiences that I've had. I mean, right. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. 
that that maybe will relate to this is a thing that you do in therapy it's called family constellations and this is really interesting so you would get into a room and you set up um like your mother your father maybe you have a brother your sister and you kind of position them in a way that feels like how you were related to them right like just just intuitively like where would your mom be it's almost like you create this sculpture and for a lot of people most people, their mom is really close and their dad is further away. Right. And But sometimes it's really far away. Or sometimes the mom is like blocking the father. Right. In some way. And the brother's over in the corner. And you, it, it's a kind of an intuitive thing. And then what happens is you, you just let, it's like an improv and you let it go and, and, you know, the facilitator helps so that you can experience what it was like for you as a child. Right. And, and most of that stuff is, is unconscious. And what I saw was that uh, in 80% of the cases, the, the process would end with the child or the, the person in their kind of childlike regressed state screaming for the father. Mm. Like, daddy, daddy. Whether it's a boy or a girl? Boy or oh. a girl. Okay. And that changed everything for me. I was like, oh man, like these children are longing for the father and, and the, the absent father, whether it's physically or emotional is, has a huge impact right. on children and that the father's role is crucial. Yeah. And so that's the bias that I bring from the experience that I had. And so of course I, I apply that on to the way that I interviewed and, and, see uh, or, or i would say see but uh, make assumptions or you know i presume things about what was going on with tate hmm. which which you know that's my bias right right, right. But that's from my experience that's amazing now have you heard of the youtube channel soft white underbelly uh is that the where he uh, interviews sort of misfits of society yeah. yes yeah, so i have i've seen and it's beautiful photography yeah yeah, yeah. so mark um so i sort of know him i've talked to him on the phone facetime a couple times um we're not like friends or anything but one thing that i've picked up from his interviews because he interviewed so if you guys don't know what soft white underbelly is it is a youtube channel where this guy mark who used to be a photographer opened his studio to homeless people on skid row to come in and they interview and he asks them about their life and what they're like and usually i mean he interviews everybody but a lot of the times it's you know fentanyl addicts pimps gang members, anybody, right? The, the, what could be seen as the lowest of society. But one thing that I've noticed about that in those interviews, the common denominator is there's lack of love in the household growing up and usually lack of a father. Yeah. So do you think that that is when somebody goes down a really bad path where they're, I mean, I mean, really bad, right? Yeah. Like, do you think that's usually what it is? Yeah. I do. I mean, I think it's trauma. Yeah. I think it's playing out. And uh, uh, listen, people get abused by their mothers all the time. Mother, mothers are just as, quote unquote, bad, you know, or can do just as much damage as fathers. They might just do it in different ways. Right. But, but the absence of the father is is <clears throat> profound. I mean, I, I would argue, and I have argued, that, that all the problems are in our society currently are about that. Hmm about the lack of fathers in the home. And, and I understand why it happened, you know, f uh, feminism came along and, and that was necessary, but men sort of stepped back. Right. And I think in that place, they abdicated their responsibility. Uh, I, I think we're becoming aware of that now, but you need strong men, you need strong role models, you need discipline. 
And if you don't have, and, and women generally, I don't you know make any blanket statements, but generally that's not what they're about. They're about love and caring and nurturance, particularly for children. Right. So if you don't have that balance of the father saying, get up, get off your ass, get out of fucking bed. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. you know, you need, you need that energy. You need that firmness and also create safety. Structure yeah. creates safety. Okay. And if children don't feel safe, they're going to be neurotic and, or, or they're going to feel fearful. The world is not safe. Right. They don't, they're not going to feel protected. And, you know, again, when you're a child, you are vulnerable and helpless. So right. you, you want to feel the strength of the father that he's got it. Yeah. And without that, you're going to have a lot of uh, internal fear, which is going to lead to uh, a, a kind of chaotic upbringing. And then what happens is you then project that need for safety onto the government. Well, my dad wasn't there. So I need you're going to find the father figure in, in the government. The government needs to take care of me. Hmm. And which I think is uh, that has its own problem. And I think it's the absence of God. Right. Okay. God, the father. Right. Right. And so you've you've seen a real movement away from God over the last 20 years in the country. Yeah. And I understand that, you know, right. Catholic Church and a lot of religions are incredibly corrupt. Yeah. And so why would you stay with that? That said, um, when you give up that relationship to the father, that, you know, that 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 protector, that safety, that 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 wisdom, right? That structure, right? Then you're living in chaos, and if you're living in chaos, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna succumb to addiction. You're gonna succumb to bad behavior. You're gonna start looking for love and connection and attachment in all the wrong places. Hmm. And one thing that I noticed that Andrew Tate said, which I was surprised, is you had mentioned, well, we don't know God is real. Like we don't have proof that God is real. And he actually said, you're right. But then he also said, um, he said. But if you believe in it and that changes how your world, because you feel like yeah. you're more safe, that yeah. actually brings safety because yeah. of the confidence or whatever, then that makes it real. You know, do you subscribe to that? Yes, or? 100%. Okay. I think that's how reality works. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I think what we believe is true. Yeah. And we make it true. Yeah. And so if I believe God is real, as he said, then, um, and I feel more powerful right. because of it, then God is real. Right. It's my belief that makes God real. And, uh, yeah, you know, your faith will make it so. Right. What is God to you? God is uh, the animating uh, energy or force of the universe. Right. Right. So we're, you and I, were animated. But, yeah. But everything around us is, in, in some sense, animated, all living things. But not just, you know, the earth is a living thing. Right. And I think in that force has its own intelligence. And uh, I don't think it's an old man sitting in the sky making judgments. I yeah. think it's uh, God is just the isness of everything. Right. It, uh, you know, I, I, I did a vision quest, uh, Lakota vision quest uh, a couple of years ago. I mean, I've done a number of them, but the one I did a couple of years ago and the fourth day, uh, the vision that I got, these words that got downloaded were, um, uh, there is no separation between the light and the dark. Nature has no judgments as, judgments or preferences, and God right. is not concerned with your suffering. And the moment you accept that, you're free. Okay. And what that meant to me is, you know, no separation between the light and the dark. It's one thing. Okay, so I have to hold the good, good and bad equally right. as part of it. There's no escape from that. And, and that God is not like, or nature, which is, really God yeah has no preference 
So chaos or mm -hmm. calculation? Say more. Would you say the universe is more chaotic or calculated? I think it's I, I think it's neutral. Okay. I think God is neutral. Okay. And I think it, we can bring chaos or we can bring order to it. And okay. again, God is not, he's just watching. He's just above, or he, you know, the energy yeah. Yeah. is just, it's just, it's letting it play out. Right. And so that's our free will, right? We can make choices. Right. And uh, I think there's a reason that God is uh, masculine, you yeah. know, because God brings order. And so uh, I think that it's up to men to bring order to the world. And so all the problems we're having, they're only going to be solved by men. Okay. Right? Like it's the man, and because man is like the father is actually the representation of God on earth. Right. And so it's like, it's, it's up to men to bring order to the world. Otherwise, you're going to be in complete chaos. And anyone who's been in any kind of rela real relationship that, that's, that's in polarity, a masculine-feminine relationship that's in polarity, understands that, right? Right. Uh, and I'm, again, it, these are not uh, blanket statements. It, it, it can be different in different dynamics. But generally, I know in my relationship, it's like, it's it's my job to bring order to the relationship. And right. if I let my woman just make every decision and do whatever she wants, uh, we're going to be in chaos, right. right? Because that's just how the feminine uh, uh, it's how they orient. It's how they yeah. and so it's and it's the balance of that. But if it's all me, it's all it's all structure. It's all we got to do it this way. Yeah. And there's no softness. There's there's no um, tenderness, there's no care, then that completely goes out of balance. So right. it's always a, a balance between those, those two things, but it just feels like right now we've, we're, there's just a lot of chaos in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why Tate is so popular, right? Right. Why Trump is so became so popular and it still is popular is because what they're doing is bringing order and people can feel like, Oh, I want that. I need that. That makes me feel safe. Right which is coming from a lot of people missing the father and child. I think I think so. And it become it can become tyrannical and yeah. and and you, we have to be careful about that, but uh hmm. That's great. What you said about how uh people will go from feeling like they need their father to protect them and then that role shifts from the father to being the government, yeah. being the father figure to yes. them. That's I've never heard that and never thought of that, but that's that's completely true, right? People put so much trust in the government and I think why there's a lot of chaos is people feel like they can't trust the government, right? That's right. Well, they've been lied to and now they're starting to see that yeah. they've been lied to and so yeah, they've been betrayed. Yeah. Huh. So, how much so one thing that I see, one thing that is that is really difficult to watch is to hear somebody say that they want and they genuinely want a certain kind of lifestyle. Maybe they want to make more money. Maybe they want to start a business. They want to do, they want to live their passion, whatever it is. But they constantly are self-sabotaging themselves. From a psychoanalyst perspective, where does that come from? Where does a self-sabotage come from? Where we maybe don't believe internally that we are worthy of something, which may be love, like you'd said earlier, mm -hmm. but w where does that come from in your perspective? It, fear. It's, it's all just fear-based. So, um, I mean, this is, this is a, from my framework, how I think about it, it's, it's kind of <clears throat> a deep conversation. Um, you know, w we self-sabotage because we made a decision a long time ago to never be vulnerable. Right. We get hurt as children and we close down and we make a decision like I never want to feel that again. Yeah, of course, that's that's a rational thing. So I'm never going to engage in any kind of behavior 
that might bring about that pain. Right. And so I make a decision. I'm never going to open my heart again. I'm never going to trust again. I'm never going to need again. I'm never going to go after what I want. I'm never going to be here all the way. I'm never going to go for it. I'm never going to show the world who I am because all of those things could open me up and could cause me pain. Right. And so that's the self-sabotage mechanism. That is an unconscious decision, a decision we made at two, three, four, five, six years old. We don't remember making it. Right. But somewhere along the way, we, we, we made that decision, which is a rational decision to make. Yeah. This pain that I experienced was overwhelming. And I never want to feel it again. So this is the best way to make sure that it never happens again. The, but, you know, when, but then we have this other part of us that wants to expand, that wants to grow, that wants to reach out for love, that wants to be creative and, and fulfill our dreams. And so those two competing parts of us come into contact and it creates a, a bind inside us. And then that bind is uh, kind of intolerable. And so we, we end up self-destructing. We procrastinate, we turn to drugs or pornography or some kind of behavior to alleviate this, this feeling of stuckness and, and tension or, or, or something that's unresolved. It's all happening unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first thing that you, that I tell people to do is just like first reframe everything is I must be afraid. There must be something I'm afraid of. If I'm, if I want something and I'm not getting it and I'm sabotaging myself, that self-sabotage mechanism, it must be motivated by fear. Mm. What is that fear about? Let me define that fear. Well, if, um, if I go for what I want, right, if, if I'm going to like, I, lots of people like I want to, uh, make more social media posts. I want to make videos and put myself out there and they never do it. Right. Well, why don't they do it? Well, what's going to happen? You have, what is it? What's going to happen? What are, what are you afraid of? Right. Well, I'm going to be judged or people aren't going to like it or nobody's going to care. Right. And to the child that might've been overwhelmingly painful. Right. But what you try to have to teach people is like you as an adult that may happen. Well, no, it's not. It's going to happen. It's 100% going to happen. If you put yourself out there, People are going to tell you you're stupid. People are going to tell you you're no good. People are going to ignore it, all of that. But you as an adult, you can tolerate that. You can tolerate what that is and keep going. And what you start to realize is, you know, nobody cares. Like nobody really, really cares. And there's freedom in that. But but you're not, we're not usually generally operating from that adult mind, especially when we have unresolved trauma. That trauma, that fear takes over and uh and starts kind of running everything and it thinks this is the key it thinks it's protecting us yeah it's keeping us safe well it's survival it's survival exactly it's like uh you know if if you see that cord maybe your brain thinks it's a snake you know exactly yeah yeah so how does somebody tap in to their subconscious and change things can they is there a point where you're kind of past the point of no return or never right no no i mean it's it's hard work yeah for sure it's scary work i think it starts by i mean i think the first thing i would say is you can't do it alone you you have to i'm not saying you have to go to therapy but you you need some kind of help from people whether that's uh going to some kind of ceremony with a group of people I just think you need reflection and you need to see yourself reflected in other people. Right. Right. Because when we're isolated, the mind takes over and the mind is always going to tell ourselves stories to, to, to essentially keep ourselves protected. It's going to rationalize. 
So that would be the the first thing that I would say to people. And, that, and that's scary. But get involved. Like find some group. Like find a men's group. Something. Yeah. We can start to share how you actually feel about things and realize that you're not the only one. Like everybody has these feelings. Right. Of fear, anxiety, loneliness, sadness, feeling like I'm not enough. Everybody's got some version of that story. Um, the other thing that I would say is like just to start to get really honest about what you actually feel. And that's a hard thing to do. It's hard because we don't want to let ourselves know how we feel, but letting yourself know what you think and how you feel in every given situation, that's how you get present. Right. It's the only way to be present. And so that that's the first thing I say. That's what I'm trying to do with my clients is ask them questions to uh, uh, allow them to realize what's actually going on. Right. Which is, you know, I hear this a lot. Like, well, my childhood was, my childhood was great. My parents are really cool. You know, I didn't really have any any trouble with them. And I'm immediately like, yeah, bullshit. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm sure, I'm sure that's true on one level, but you dig down a little deeper. It's like, actually, no, I fucking hate my mother. You yeah. Know? Or, or it's, it's just a part of them. Right. But because they feel like it's not okay for them to hate their mother or their father or, or, or you know, to be feel resentful. Yeah. They, they, they bury it. But it's, of course, we all love our mother and our father, you know. Right. Uh, but, but maybe there's a part of us that feels really resentful and angry. And if we don't acknowledge that, if we don't come to terms with that inside ourselves, what's going to happen? We're going to project that out onto the world in some way. And so it's really important that we, we, we start to get extremely honest with how we feel about everything, especially the shadow feelings, especially mm. feelings of hate and judgment and, and like a place where we want to punish or, or get revenge. All the stuff we're told is like not okay. Right. And I'm not saying that it is okay. Yeah. But if it, there's a difference between I feel that and I act out on that. And so acknowledging that you feel a certain way and just letting it be there and then maybe asking yourself, I wonder why I feel this way. Mm. I wonder what this is about. Why do I have such strong feelings of of anger? Why do I hate this person? I mean, yeah. That was the question with Trump. It's like nobody wanted to ask the question. It's like, why are you so charged up with like this guy was a reality show star two years ago, media mogul. Everybody like thought he was funny. And yeah. now you fucking hate him. Yeah. Well, that's not about him. That's about you. Yeah. And what is it in him that's causing you to feel this way? Yeah. Or what is it in you? Sorry, that's 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 evoked by him. Right. Right. So we want to take responsibility for all of that. Right. Huh. So I, I want to talk about the shadow work. But before that, you you. So there's something that I always see in myself and in other people is what people really hate about somebody else, it's coming, and you kind of mentioned this, but it's coming from internally, right? Yeah. So if I think, oh, that guy's so arrogant, so cocky, it's not him, right? It's like that's a mirror and I'm looking at the things that I don't like in myself or what do you think about that? Is that yeah, common? Yeah, that's, 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 yeah, it's projection, right? It's classic projection. Um, <clears throat> we see in others what it was disowned in us, you know, in the... Uh, in the addiction community, you spot it, you got it. Yeah. You know, we say that, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, we have parts of ourselves, both light and dark, good and bad, that we disown. And so we want to be aware of what and who we're judging and how and why we're judging, because that's going to give us information about what is disowned in us. Now, that's a hard thing to do. Right. Because we don't want to face the parts of ourselves that are, you know, ugly or mean or arrogant or or weak, right? whatever it may be. 
Um, but less talked about is the people that we admire, the people we really, we really love, the, those people that we're fixated on. There's probably something in their light, in, in the gift that you see in them that is also in you and disowned in you. So it's important to look at both. Like, who do I hate? Who do I admire? Like, yeah. both of them hold something uh, that is disowned in me and, and, and what's stopping me from owning that all the way. Right. Yeah. I think that that's something that, um, I just wish that we had like a playbook on like, all right, here's what you need to do. Here's how you can fix your life. But, uh, you said, you well, know, I the, do it all the, the time. No, you just write it out. Right. Tell yeah. people, I give this exercise to my clients all the time, write a list of everybody that drives you fucking nuts. Okay. And then what is the quality in them that drives you nuts? Where is that quality in you go mm. through it? Like take ownership of it, and, I'm do and, that today. and and yeah, it's a it's a great exercise, and and some of the things you may be like, I don't have that. Do I have that? You know, and then you're like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, maybe I do. Maybe I am a little bit arrogant. Am maybe, I the asshole? Maybe yeah. I'm the asshole. Well, we're all the asshole at times, yeah. and it's it's okay. You know, yeah. you can't. I mean, this I'm really on this kick right now. Is like, stop trying to be good. Forget good, just be, right? Like we are light and dark. We have both good and bad in us and it must all be necessary. So I'm not saying give yourself permission to just be an asshole, but understand like like this this constant pursuit of to be good, I think is, uh, there's a distortion there because it, it the implication there is that that other part of me is not good. And, but that other part of you exists. And I think what I'm pushing people towards is aliveness. Mm. to be fully expressed. And if you're fully expressed, like your shadow is going to come out. But if you can understand that your shadow is really just an expression of your pain and continue to take responsibility for it, continue to understand it um, and not make yourself bad or wrong. That's the key, right? Um, all of our distortions, all the place, the place where we can be cruel or, or be an asshole or be arrogant. They're trying, it's just a trauma response. Mm. It's just some, it's not about, it's not at our deepest core who we are. And that's, I think why people are afraid to, to really go into the shadow emotions because they feel like if I don't want to identify with that. Right. But if you can create some separation between you and how you feel or the, the behavior that you exhibit, exhibit, then you can, you can start to kind of just look at it. Um, and understand that I am not my feelings. I am not my thoughts. I am the thing that's able to observe my thoughts and feelings. That, right. And that, that part of me is divine. And so uh, there's nothing about me that's necessarily bad. It's just distorted. Right. So tell me, how can somebody be present, especially in today's day of having phones and instant dopamine hits and, and constantly things to drive you away from being in the moment and present? Practice. It's like anything else, you have to practice being present. And I think meditation is the start of that. I mean, what is, what is meditation? You, you sit, you, you're going to be still, you're not going to move. And essentially, you're just observing your thoughts. I mean, you're focusing on the breath, you're focusing on the mantra. And, um, and what inevitably happens is your mind begins to wander. Mm -hmm. and that's part of it. And then you notice that your mind is wandering and you bring it back to the breath. That's what meditation is. It's, people think it's just like, oh, I'm, I'm completely focused on the breath. And if my mind starts to wander, I've done it wrong. No, right. that you haven't done it wrong. The, the, it's the practice of noticing your wandering mind and bringing it back to the present moment. So focusing on the breath or focusing on a mantra, it's like you're practicing presence. Right. 
And that's that's the best you can do. And so you're ne we're never perfectly present all the time. But can I learn to bring myself back to presence? Can I learn when I'm not present? Can I learn when I'm in my wandering mind? And can I just be here all the way? And it's a very hard thing to do to be here all the way. Usually we need an activity like jujitsu or hockey or or or. or painting or some music that brings yeah. into presence. That's why it feels so good. Right. Right. Nothing feels better than being all the way in the mo in the moment, making yeah. love, watching a sunset. We're lost in it. Right. We're out of our mind. Right. And so how do yeah, how do we cultivate that all the time? That is available to us all the time if we're willing to be all the way here. And it's like if you and I right in this moment, if we let go of our, our minds and just actually come fully present with each other, it's like you'll what you'll start to feel is a like layers of uh I don't know what, like something will dissolve between us, yeah. right? And that is uncomfortable for people, right? Right, because we're not used to experiencing reality in that way. And so you need to kind of practice getting more and more comfortable with that. I mean, you see that in the Tate interview at the end, like he he has a moment of, of presence. We have a moment of presence together and then it's, it's, it, it, it's hard to tolerate. It's hard to tolerate for me right. to really be there, but there, there, it, that's what we're longing for. We, we want to feel more connected to ourselves. We want to feel more connected to other people. And the argument that I made to Tate and the argument that I make to people is that that's the ultimate power. If you are present, right. you, you, if, you, if a present, truly present person walks into the room, it, it's over. Like they, they, all they can, like, I don't, it's like they're a wizard. Right. Right. And all of the, like they can hold all of the energy in some sense and everything kind of like will, will kind of come to them or they'll settle things down just by the power of their presence. And it's, so it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's worth cultivating. I would say it's, you know, it's the most important thing that you can cultivate. The reason it's so hard is because if I'm all the way present, there's things here that I'm scared to feel. Right. And that's why we distract ourselves. That's why we reach for the phone. That's why we reach for the for the cigarette, because there's something in the present moment that's that's scary to feel or or it's overwhelming or or, or there's just discomfort in it. We're not used to it, but you right. can train yourself to get more used to that that feeling and that quality. And that's really what you know, I've done in my work. I'm just like, I'm not present all the time for sure, but I found a place like in my work where I can, I, I, I can come all the way present, just like Tate does in fighting or you do in jujitsu. Like, and, and yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful feeling, but that's essentially what I'm teaching. Right. People how to get present. In presence, there's vulnerability, huh? Tense vulnerability. Cause you don't have mm. any control. Right. Right. You turn your mind up. I mean, all of us in some level, right? Like in the, even in this conversation, like you're thinking about what you're going to say next or, or right. on some level. Right. And we we're trying to control somehow how we are perceived. Mm -hmm. um, and if you let go of that, what if I let go of trying to worry about how I'm perceived? And, and how do we do that? By the things we say, by the tone of voice we use, little little body language. Like I want you, I want the audience listening to me right now to be to to see me or understand me in a certain kind of way. Right. And there's a way that I'm controlling that. I don't, I don't know that we can fully get out of that. Right. Yeah. It's just it's just a habit. Yeah. It's how we all evolve. As I say, it goes back to the early conversation. Yeah, that that we had about like making our, ourselves uh, connected in favor with our caregivers. We are learning to manipulate ourselves to stay connected 
uh, and in favor all of the time. And that almost becomes a default. But if you let that go and you just exist like your dog. Right. Right. Yeah. And you just be. Well, why do we love dogs? Because they're not they're not trying to do that. Yeah. They're just fucking exist. And we and those are the people we love the most. Right. People who don't seem to give a shit what anybody else thinks. They're just free. They're just existing. Yeah. And why do I laugh at my my lady? It's like when she's just being herself. And, right. You know, and it's like she laughs at me when I'm just being myself, when I'm not self-conscious. That's when we're most lovable. That's when we're most alive. So can we give ourselves permission to 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 be that? That's right. And it's scary because you don't have any, as I said, you don't have any control over that. And so you have to be willing to meet life as it comes to you. And but that's where all creativity is, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that's what, you know, when you're doing jujitsu, you're not really thinking about the next move. I mean, you have a structure in your head, but ultimately, if you want to get really good at it, it's just you're just flowing flow. Yeah. It's like one thing to the next to the next. And you have to trust that you're going to your body. You train your body enough that it's going to know what to do intuitively. Yeah. And that's I think that's exactly what that that's the space we can get into all the time in every human interaction. Yeah. And it's I think it's really freedom, but it's also yeah, it's it's scary. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's so much good if you can get out of your comfort zone, I found, you know, in my life, anything good has come from, like you said, putting the work in, <clears throat> but also getting uncomfortable. Yeah. And yeah, like being present, even like when I'm building a company, it only really works when I'm being present with that thing and and being open too, right? Whether that's being open, yeah, employees or new ideas or whatever. Well, yeah. people want to be able to feel you. Yeah. Right. And we can and we can talk and talk about our ideas and talk about our, our intention. <clears throat> but if, if people can't feel us, if they don't feel the resonance between the idea and, and the, the feeling associated with it, like something, whether they're aware of it or not, they, they check out like the, it, because something's not aligned. Hmm. And you know, we feel that with people. We, we, we hear them say the thing, right? But we don't feel it. And then we, we notice when somebody is really in alignment with what they're saying and, and what they're feeling, it's almost embodied. Like it, it, it resonates. It's, right. It, we have a, a experience in our body. Yeah. Like we'll sit up. Like the truth, kind of sits us up straight. Yeah. In some way, and uh, but again, that's it, it's just practice. It's just it's just it's just practice. Yeah, I love it. So where can people follow you? Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, David Sutcliffe thirty three. Uh, you can go to my website, davidsuckliff.com. Everything's there. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, check him out. Please give this man a follow. His content is is incredible. Um, the Andrew Tate podcast obviously was amazing, but all of your other content that I dove into, your one of your more recent videos about meditation too. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to keep diving into your stuff. And I encourage you guys, if you guys like the content in this podcast, his channel is full of it. So what's next for you? You you did the Hollywood thing. Um, you know, you uh, now you're kind of, it seems like transitioning as of the last couple of years into a new role. So what's next? Uh, I Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm trying to figure it out. Well, I'm going to try to stay present yeah. and not try to control things. I, I, I've been praying on it. And the, the answer I keep getting is just patience, patience. And that's sort of how I live my life. I, I, I wait for things to unfold. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm active and I'm assertive about things. But um, what I've learned is um, uh, I have to follow uh, what's coming. 
and that things come in. And so I'm, I'm kind of like, yeah, in a wait and see, uh, place, see, you know, obviously got a lot of exposure from this Tate interview and, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's coming next, but Isn't I'm, that I'm trusting. Yeah, it's super <laughs> it's scary. It's exciting. Yeah. And there's a part of me that wants to make something happen. Um, but I'm just trusting that it's it's going to unfold as 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 it should. Yeah, it will. I'm excited to see yeah. it. Well, David, thank you so much thank for coming you. on. Thank you for coming down here, too, by the way. I appreciate you coming to the studio. And uh, yeah, thank you so yeah, much. Good to meet you. Yeah, thanks.